Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. Benjamin Blonde joins us today. He's a regional manager of Anytime Fitness in Chicagoland and a EIU exercise science program uh, graduate like myself, Eastern Illinois University. Went through the same program together. We reconnected on Instagram like a lot of these conversations start, um, which is kind of interesting. We liking each other's posts, kind of realized that uh, came from the same program, have a lot of the same philosophies, which is very unusual nowadays to, to see kind of like smart training coming out of an exercise science related mm-hmm. type background because uh, it doesn't get talked about a lot. But um, but we jumped on a phone call and it was one of those phone calls that I, I should have pressed record. We could have had a 45 minute podcast already in the books, <laughs> but uh, I think this one will be uh, just as good. So Benjamin, thanks for taking the time man. I appreciate it. How you been? I've been good. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. You're, you're, you. Don't don't. I'm honored. Say <laughs> save that until the very end. Then we can talk about who's honored. Okay, uh, we'll see. All right. So tell us a little bit more about your story. Yeah. Well, I think like a lot of people in the industry, I started as an athlete. So um, I remember the first book I ever bought. I was a kid. I bought a book called Train the NBA Way. I was like 13, and I I, I thought I was certain that I would be in the NBA. So. It was pretty bad. I mean, it was like full of stretch, you know, just stretching, static stretching, diet advice, but it really piqued my interest then. And it was always, exercise was always an avenue to get better at sports. I, I didn't really want, I wasn't concerned with, you know, being like a bodybuilder or anything like that as a kid. Um, and then in high school, big emphasis on strength training. I, I realized I wasn't going to make the NBA as a six foot two uh, center. So then I switched my interest over to football. And um, so lots of strength training and luckily I had decent genetics because I was just doing everything wrong, you know, just making things up, doing really high volume, six days per week um, and getting results uh, despite what I was doing basically. Right. Um, But that really did. I was one of those, you know, I played at Eastern Illinois, so it's kind of like a mid-level, but I was one of those tweeners where I wasn't like this genetic freak that no matter what he did, he was going to play a sport in college. I, I could have not played had I not done the work. So I saw the value of strength training. I saw the value of my hard work. Um, so I ended up at Eastern. I actually transferred in to Eastern from Northern Illinois University. Oh, and okay. ex- exercise science was kind of just a, basically, I need to pick a major. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want a student teach or not. I don't see myself being a gym teacher. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll pick exercise science. Yep. And you're, you're laughing because that sounds familiar. Yes, it's, no, dude, this is exactly like my, I went, I was going into being a PE teacher and then something happened and I was like, I don't, I don't want to write classroom curriculum all day. Like yeah. I, I didn't want to do that part of it. And that's what it got me out of it. So I completely, yeah. 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 So from there, I mean, I was kind of, you know, going to school to stay eligible and play football, that type of thing. And then what, once we got into our content though, in some of our courses, that's when it started piquing my interest. I was like, wow, this is really cool. 
And most of that was self-interest because I want to think about my own training uh, programs and things like that. But that's when I actually started joining school and I did much better towards the latter, the latter end, you know, those last uh, couple of years. Um, so then I graduated, you know, didn't have a job lined up. I did my internship like we had to. Uh, and I, and I really wasn't sure that I was going to, uh, do anything in regards to fitness. I considered going back to school to again, do education. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I was kind of like working as a student teacher, coaching basketball, things weren't going very well, you know, right after college, living at home, that type of thing. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to use what I have. I have an exercise science degree. Right. And I had already passed, I think I did the ACE certification or something. So I was like, all right, I'll just apply uh, a few places. So I did that. And I actually applied at this place uh, in the South suburbs in Homewood, Illinois called Sweat Equity. And little did I know that the trainers were actually very good there. Um, and it was kind of a, it was kind of a small studio and they were actually one of the first people to have a training studio. They opened up way prior to this. Um, so I worked there for a while and I was training, you know, mostly general population, older people. Mm-hmm. And in my mind at that time, it was kind of boring, right? I, yeah. I didn't see the, I didn't see the value as much as I do now. And we'll probably talk about that as we go. Um, but I was just kind of doing it, learning it a little bit. I was really looking for, I've always been on the lookout for mentors, you know, when I was younger. And that's what I was kind of looking for. And the guy who owned it, they were very intelligent. Um, they were in cahoots with like Tom Purvis, if you know who that is. They were, and he was in, familiar. Yeah, they were involved with uh, National Academy of Sports Medicine when it first came out, when it, yeah. when it was a little bit more stringent on their testing. Um, and so they were very intelligent, but they were on the tail end of their career. They wanted to golf. So it was kind of like, I'm just training hours, uh, that type of thing. So, I wanted to make a little bit more money. I wanted to keep moving on in the career. So then I uh, connected with someone from Eastern Illinois. Um, Bridget Owen, do you, does that sound familiar? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah. She's part of the graduate program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you would know her. So she actually contacted me and kind of recruited me over uh, to Lifetime Fitness, which is a big uh, fitness company oh, wow. uh, nationwide now. And then I ended up working there. And that was more, there was a lot of value there because you're learning the business side. Right. Basically, the right. protocol is here's a name tag, you know, go out there and build a clientele. So that was very valuable um, along those lines. Spent several years there, did management. Um, there were some very good things in the business end that I learned and then some very bad things uh, in terms of the training. Um, and we can talk more about that later, too. So I eventually I kind of wanted to leave more of like this commercial setting. Um and then that was probably like 2015 or 16, 2015. Okay. And then we had talked previously. I had a few offers. I kind of wanted to work independently, kind of like you did, you do, or possibly open my own uh, facility. But I had a few opportunities, one in strength and conditioning, which I was doing part-time, uh, one in managing anytime on anytime fitness. Uh, and so I ended up, you know, I was leaning more towards the strength and conditioning uh, side, but there were some issues there that I wasn't comfortable with. So I ended up at Anytime Fitness and it's actually been uh, a really cool uh, experience um, working there and building, building the business that way. That's so awesome. currently, oh yeah, <laughs> I won't keep going, but or, uh, currently we have two facilities and what's cool about the Anytime Fitness model, um, even though I wanted to get out of the commercial setting, it's individually owned franchises. So you can kind of, you have a little bit more control of the quality. So as opposed to having like this massive budget and needing 30 trainers to hit $200,000 a month, 
we have four trainers, right? Okay. So it's kind of a mix between a private studio, but still in a public setting. So we're able to kind of control hmm. the quality a little bit better. Oh yeah. That's interesting. So you have kind of a, you have, you have, you're not just saying go out there and do whatever you want. As long as you're bringing in clients, there's like there are standards in place, which are pretty unique in, in terms of that situation. Absolutely. Yeah. That was kind of my, that was kind of my deal with accepting the job. I, I want to, you know, I don't want money to be the, of course we all want to make money, but I don't right. want money to be the bottom line. I don't want to trade the quality or compromise on the training just to bring in more revenue. Right. So yeah. I want to back, I want to back up to, to two things. So the train the NBA way book, right? <laughs> just as, as a, as a side note, please tell me you had some of those, I can't remember the name of the shoes, but like Charles Barkley wore them, oh. like, you know, the calf shoes. No, I did not. I couldn't get my hands on those, but I wanted them. <laughs> I remember so many, so many kids in basketball, my freshman and sophomore year wore them like all of the time. It was like, you know, 97, 98, something like that. That's like, that was the big thing. So I'm, I'm interested, I'm interested a little bit more in what were your training philosophies coming from? Like, I'm not sure what your high school is like, but normally when I think of like a high school athletic program, you have, you have essentially uh, a coach wanting to be a coach and knowing that he needs his, his players, his athletes to become stronger. It's either go do your own thing, log hours in the weight room because they need to be checked, or we're going to put posters on the wall and, you know, hit the, hit the hit bench press, hit deadlift, hit a, hit a squat and like some kind of Olympic lift, and then you're good to go. And as you move into college, you might see a little bit more, you might see those same basic movements or not even not so basic movements, um, but a little more structured. And then going into where you are now and the philosophy that you have, how did all of that kind of transpire into what you're doing now? Or how did it change maybe? Yeah. Um, well, high school was, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. The Nebraska system. Um, yeah. So basically bench, it was bench, hang clean and squat. And it was terrible because we had like, it was a free weight bench, but we had, we had power clean or hang clean machines. I don't know if you've ever seen these. They should be destroyed because the, <laughs> the handles were so wide. You actually would step into it kind of like a hex bar. Yeah. And the handers, handles were so wide that you would like, it was impossible to catch it. You're catching it out here away from your body. Uh -huh. So we would do that. Um, they did have hammer strength stuff, um, okay. but it, it was very basic and you had, you had your football coach doing it. And then of course, you know, we had that, we had that during school, you know, you had your strength training class um, as an elective or whatever, instead of PE. Right. So we did that. And then we had after school conditioning, but I was always doing stuff on my own, totally overtraining, but getting away with it. Yeah. Um, what was interesting about that? I was just talking about this today. I was, I would always train with one of my, my best friend in high school. He was like a middle linebacker, a better football player than me, but not gifted at all. Like five foot eight, you know, that type of thing, but very smart. You know, he was like an all area player. Very good. And we're both exercising, you know, he's working out with me every day after school and he is not getting any results. Like he's getting weaker and I'm getting stronger. And that's, you know, one of the first moments the overtraining light bulb went off in my mind. Like this kid is just overtraining, you know, he's training six days per week. He's not able to handle that genetically yeah. or nutritionally or, or whatever it was. But anyway, that was high school. And then college, I went to Northern Illinois my freshman year and that was that was crazy. That was more like Navy SEAL training. I mean, <laughs> the win it was just, 
it just weeded out people that shouldn't be there. It was yeah. just, it, it did, it, there was value in the mental toughness, you know, right. and the maturity. Um, I did get stronger, but you know, you take a bunch of 18 year olds with 30 inch vertical leaps, they're going to get stronger no matter what you do, you know? Um, <laughs> but it was more just get through this. You know, I remember at one point, I don't want to bash the school <laughs> in any way, but I remember at one point there was an award given to the athletes who made it through winter conditioning without getting injured. It was called iron Husky. And in my mind now, I'm like, if your training program, there's only like 25 guys who didn't get hurt during your conditioning, that's not very good, you know? Um, And then I transferred to Eastern Illinois and I will say it was better. Um, The strength coach there was a little bit uh, more astute in my opinion. And it it seemed easy. Um, But actually what it was, it was, you know, probably a little bit, uh, it was definitely lower frequency and it was definitely not as much volume. So, you know, I remember showing up to my first day, like just ready for the drill instructor and it was much more thought out and and it was a little bit better. Do I think it was perfect? No, I think we've learned, we've learned stuff since then, but it was a lot better. And I did, whether it was my age or whatever, the length of time I was there, I did physically get better uh, at Eastern. So go EIU there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then now, I mean, I, I kind of had all these epiphanies of overtraining. Right. It's my opinion that most high school athletes from, you know, smaller areas like me are overtrained because they're playing multiple sports. They're never getting a break. I've had a few, you know, you know, a few incidents, like let's say you get injured or something like that. You take a few days off and you come up, you come back really explosive, like a few epiphanies like that, that were overtraining. So now, you know, my training philosophy is a little bit more um, brief and frequent, a little bit higher intensity, but thinking a lot more about recovery. Right. right. And really, you know, if you're a personal trainer, most people you're training twice per week. So that system kind of has to be thought about right. um, to get results because we don't have the liberty to train people, you know, with high volumes like we did then. Right. If that answers your question. <laughs> yeah. Cool. No, no, it, no, no, it does. Because it's uh, uh, and we had this conversation about when we were introduced to like what I would call, uh, you know, it's a form of high intensity training, but not necessarily that it, smart training, intelligent training. And you brought up, you know, well thought out training because you're, cause yeah. you come from, you're coming from this background of always playing a sport, always seeing exercise done a certain way to achieve a certain goal. You know, so if you want to be fast, you have to move fast. If you know, you move the weight fast, things like that, that were thought about um, and maybe are still thought in a certain way. And that's probably why, you know, the college, your former college, uh, we're having so many injuries because these things, you know, these, these things were thought to protect the body for, for gameplay. You had to, you had to survive the workout. Then you'd be better yeah. at the sport, right? That was like the mentality, but the recovery side of things. So having all of that knowledge, when were you first introduced to like a smarter way of training? Did it come towards like the tail end of your college career? Was it when you got into training? When did you start learning more about um, like the high intensity training method, th- those kind of things? So I, I would say that I was introduced to it at my first training job in the studio okay. uh, because they had a very sensible way of training and I was young and I thought like, man, this is boring. How many lat pull downs is this guy going to do? And I, and I wasn't, I wasn't seeing the value. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then I went, I got exposed to, you know, at a bigger company, I got spo- exposed to all sorts of, you know, training methodologies. 
So I dabbled. I mean, I did stuff that I'm embarrassed to admit that I did with, you know, clients. We all, yeah, absolutely. And, um, but I met a few guys, um, at, um, where I worked at Lifetime Fitness and I met a few guys and particularly one guy who I really looked up to and you could just, you know, tell in the results with his clients and how he trained that he really knew what he was doing. So he kind of, he didn't, I kind of forced myself to be his mentee, but Uh you know, the biggest thing I learned from him is, you know, to develop a hunger for learning. Right. So to attend, you know, seminars, to read books, to investigate this stuff and train a little bit more sensible way. The high intensity or high intensity principles that I use uh, that came about pretty recently. um, But it makes total sense. I told you I dealt with, you know, I have two labrum issues with my shoulders Mm -hmm. and I have no stability, uh, you know, in my shoulders. And I, I've been training myself, working out and really almost getting depressed at one point because I can't even exercise anymore. Like I can't even do what I'm doing. So I kind of went to a very infrequent, you know, one time per week or once every five, five days, um, high intensity protocol where I was just doing one set to failure. Yep. And I did that for a year. Uh, and what I noticed is that I pretty much alleviated all my pain mm-hmm. uh, in my joints and I was able to train with a really high degree of effort without injuring myself. And that's one of my biggest things, um, you know, with my clients is keeping them safe. Like that's goal number one. Um, so I'm not an all out, like I'm not a super slow advocate. I'm not there yet. I love reading that stuff and it's interesting to me, but being that we're doing predominantly 30 minute sessions, we're seeing clients uh, infrequently. Um, it makes a whole lot of sense to use those principles. So as of the last couple of years, I've been really, uh, implementing that stuff in a lot more. Yeah, definitely. And you brought up something interesting because like the super slow and um, like very strict high intensity principles that follow, like I'll say um, Dr. Doug McGuff ha- has, you know, the big five principles, which, which actually come to find out he really didn't, you pick five exercises that, you know, were, were well thought out and that's kind of what he meant, but people took it to, like to be gold. Um, yeah. If you have something like, you have a very thought out program that you have to follow like a super slow concept. For instance, you're spending a certain amount of time on one machine and then you have to get to something else uh, very quickly. Like working in industries like our, our facilities, like you or I work in, that would be, I, that would be great if we could do that most of the time. But the fact is when you're working and, and maybe you're not like this, but I've got at certain times, I've got, you know, seven, eight other trainers that I'm looking at who have some anywhere between one and, and four, four clients, you know, and in like a 3000 square foot facility and the training yeah. is just not that big. So if I know I want to go from a seated and a vertical chest press to a mid row in a certain amount of time, like I've, I've got to make that happen in a pretty efficient matter. Yes. I know I can go do a different type of row. My, my point is that super slow is it's a great principle, but unless you're working in a super slow, strict only facility, or you're in a facility like ours and it's just dead in the middle of the day, the chances are of a, per, of a, a trainer getting to know that philosophy and getting to use it all the time is very, very low, I think, in my opinion. Um, yeah. You know, unless, you're, unless you have, you know, spe- special requirements. Um, mm-hmm. so, so you're doing this now. You know, you're seeing the benefits. Uh, you've, you've obviously curtailed your own training and, and you're making corrections. When you're training someone, when you're with, when you're working, or you're you're showing a uh, one of your trainers how to, to train this way, making better better choices, because um, you and I both talked about how 
you know, when you're training somebody and you may not see a very good set, a very good rep, um, you know, you want to clean it up. There, there's a way to tell somebody yeah, it's still good effort. Um, you know, I, I want you to bring that same amount of effort, but we got to fix these, these key issues. How do you address that inside of your, your training philosophy? How do you, how do you preach that to your trainers also? Well, yeah, what, what we do is when we hire a personal trainer, they go through um, like a protocol with me. So they're going to meet with me 10 times. Um, and I have like a long list of a checklist of things that they have to know. Right. And one of those is exercise selection. Okay. And um, we have what's we have an exercise menu okay, that I've created. And in the beginning, um, they're kind of limited to that menu. And basically it's, it's built around movement patterns. So you have, you know, upper body, vertical push, horizontal push, all those movement patterns, and they can select exercise from that before they ever start training. I make sure that they're the first time around, I make sure that they're efficient at doing them it themselves. Yeah. And the second time I have them either instruct me or instruct another person on how to do it. And so we make sure that they're prepared on, on how to know how to do that. Um, it depends what exercise you're doing. So that's one thing I see with the, the high intensity stuff is like a lot of times when you're using only machines, which I think machines are great. Um, mm -hmm. It's a little less technical, right? So yep, it, yep, it's right. a little harder to mess up. There's a few things that you, you need to, uh, you know, set up and you're good to go. Whereas an exercise like a goblet squat or a kettlebell deadlift, there's more working and moving parts. So, you know, we always look at if someone's doing something, let's say they're doing a goblet squat with a dumbbell and they're not getting the full depth that they want. Uh, you gave them a few cues. You're talking a lot during the set. You might pull back and let them squat. You know, they're not doing like quarter reps, but let them squat, you know, not quite to parallel. Right. After the set, I would say, hey, great job on this. I like how you kept the kettlebell on your chest, two points of contact, whatever it might be. But I want you on the next set to try to get a little bit deeper. So that's something that we would let the set continue and then correct. Other things you know, we still, we still will have people pick things up off the floor. So if we work them into a kettlebell deadlift and work, you know, month two or three and it, and they're pulling that thing up and the kettlebell is, you know, way in front of their toes. And we're seeing, we know that stress can be on the low back. We're going to terminate that set immediately. Right. So we try to talk to our trainers about that before they ever start training. And then I'll review their sessions a lot of times too. And we'll, we'll kind of we, uh, meet weekly or monthly and go through that stuff. That's awesome. Make sure the, the quality is there. Yeah. That's right. Work. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's, but that's part of the game though. And you said earlier, like the number one thing for a trainer to do is keep your client safe. And I think um, that's kind of what, where my mind went was, uh, you know, I don't see it very often, but occasionally I probably even do it myself where I see something happening. And I'm like, I'm gonna let that person get away with that. And I'm going to say it. But what we, what we really need to realize is, um, as trainers, as someone in charge of someone else's physicality, like their overall well-being at that moment, is we have to understand that we're building those pathways. And so if you're letting somebody get away with something for, you know, somebody like the goblet squat, um, their, their head's dropping down, their knees are caving in, whatever, whatever it is, a little bit of wiggle room's okay. That constant cueing may not be necessary all the time, but saying, hey, we're going to clean it up this way and explaining why. There's value in that. You're giving that client value and feedback. And that's a big reason why they're there to see you. Um, also, you know, at, I, I don't think it has to be like a constant um, stop. You're doing it wrong. We're not going to do this anymore. Or like a constant barking the orders at you. Stop, stop. This is how you do it. Get down deeper. There's none of that also. But 
when if we if we don't take the time to stop and correct uh you know if you're training with a client for six months for instance and all of a sudden then you start correcting them because you're like oh maybe i need to start well six months and they're like well, what have, what have we been doing the past six months you know how can you how come you let me get away with that but um no, there, there's some good cues there that we need to follow and need to take responsibility for. And I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes when a client and trainer have such a good relationship, because that's so much part of it, you, yes. have to have the rela- you have to have the relationship to the point where you can say respectfully, hey, that was a great set. And I love the effort you put forward there. You're getting deeper. This next set, I want you to try to clean these couple things up. Instead of the trainer thinking, I'm going to let him go because – I don't want them to think they're doing something wrong. And I unfortunately see that um, not all of the time, but you know, you see that occasionally and, and that can lead to uh, some bad things down the line. Do you agree? Absolutely. I've heard that. I heard someone say that before. Like I think one-on-one is, you know, the best form of training um, groups, small groups can have their place, that type of thing. But one issue with one-on-ones is that you build such a relationship that you lose the ability to drop the hammer. Like, in terms right. of coaching, right? Exactly. Your friends, yeah, yeah. it's just Ben. I see him all the time, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. So I think it's, I think it's important to make them know that like, Hey, this is my job. This is why you pay me. Let's stop, get serious here and, and clean this up. And don't and you I, think I've struggled that, with that. I think, I think, yeah, no, no, no. I think everybody does. Don't you think though that, cause we like to say, you know, if I had a, I wish a friend would tell me if I had, something on my face or a piece of broccoli yeah. in my teeth. A good friend would tell me that. Isn't that the yeah. same thing? Like a good friend, yeah. a good trainer, a good friend is going to be like, Hey, stop. Here's why we're going to do it this way. Yeah. I feel like the, the better, the more, the better we become as trainers, the, the more relationship building we get, the more trust that person is going to have. So then they're going to say, Oh, Eric, Eric or Ben's actually telling me something. I'm going to really pay attention. So yeah. maybe changing, changing our mind about that. If you're, if you're out there, uh, if you're a trainer right now and you're just getting started, especially, and you're nervous about overcorrecting or correcting, just think about that. Think about overcorrecting is definitely an issue because you still want to get a good, effective workout in. And, and to be honest, when you're just out of school and you have all this knowledge in your head, you kind of just want to, you want to spew it all mm-hmm. over the place because you want people to think you're smart. Like you're going to use some of that lingo, but most of it's going to go by the wayside. Learn how to cue like you did get a mentor uh, learn from learn from somebody who's been there and done that. Uh, pick up on some good coaching cues. Learn how to curtail it to each and every individual, and and keep moving. Absolutely. So another thing that you and I talked about, uh, which I, I actually had the conversation, this conversation today, um, and you kind of put it in 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 good words, and you said, you know, it's it's sexy to train adults again. And I had a conversation earlier with, uh, with someone in, actually he's, he's a trainer back in uh, the Charleston area. So he went to EIU. Oh, really? Yeah. He's from that, from the area. He trains at the, the YMCA in Mattoon. And he kind of starts nice. talking about, he's like, you know, the more he gets into training, the more he really appreciates that older individual who's taking it a little more seriously, who's reached out to a professional who understands the value of strength training and smart exercise instead of someone who is maybe a little bit younger who can get away with like kind of bouncing from thing to thing and just moving their body, burning some calories and may not have, they haven't grasped uh, the benefits of strength training long-term. And uh, so I like that. I even said to him, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of sexy to train adults again. Right. And he was kind of like, Oh yeah, that's great. So I stole that from you. But 
Nice. Um, but but kind of talk to me a little bit about that. Why do you think that that trend is starting to lean that way? Well, I think, like I told you, I, I, I was an athlete and, you know, when I was training at the studio with these really good trainers, I'm bored with the lat pull down with training elderly people <laughs> because I don't think I fully grasped the benefits, you know, at my age. You know, I might have yeah. known it intellectually, but I, I didn't see that. Um, you know, I wanted to train athletes. I wanted to train the people that could do, you know, more stuff. And I've had experience in strength conditioning. Uh, I worked there for a couple of years and that's not who you want to train, right? Because right. I mean, there's so many factors. You're getting the pressures from coaches. Your parents right. want specific things. They're demanding that they're, I want my child almost throwing up by the time they're done for baseball right. players, which makes no sense, right? <laughs> the, sport the sport coaches get involved. Can't we do something that looks like a swing maybe on a BOSU? You know, they want the motor learning to be done now <laughs> in, sure. in the weight room. So BOSU. the frustration is just unbelievable. And when you're strength training an athlete, especially if they're like a pretty good athlete, I mean, you're just a very small piece of what they're doing. And I think it's right. interesting if you follow like some of these guys on social media, like you'll see NBA players even if you were like a NBA strength conditioning coach, these guys are going elsewhere like all the time, you know, it's yeah. kind of like they're, they're, they're dating other people. They're going around left and right. So you're not really controlling, you know, the stress on their physiology. So I kind of saw a lot of things that I, I thought would be fun about training, you know, uh, athletes. And then, you know, seeing coming back and now seeing the value I love. That's why I love uh, your, your Instagram and uh, Wayne uh, Westcott stuff. I yep. mean, that, you know, that's the other thing with training adults, you know, educating people that this is not just about fat loss, right? right? I'm not just a fat loss coach. Here are the benefits. And, you know, just learning these benefits and understanding how, you know, valuable it is. It, it's, it makes it much more, you know, motivating to train adults. And I think guys yeah. like, you know, specifically the hit community, um, you know, guys like Doug McGuff and, yeah. and Drew Bay and all these guys, they yeah. really, they train regular people. Right. Instead of like posting on Instagram about the latest volume study to get the bodybuilder their optimal hypertrophy, they're talking about like, how do I get all these benefits for my regular clients? And I think that that's more important. That needs to be, you know, articulated better. And I think trainers, I mean, now I look forward to training mine. I have a 70 year old client, Tuesdays, Thursdays at 5 a.m., been trainer for six years. We gained a pound, 1.5 pounds of uh, muscle mass over the last six months. Like that's the greatest thing to me. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. as opposed to maybe having an impact on a person's athletic career. It may or may not, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> all that's all that's what you said about like not being in control of that. Cause I, like you, like you said, when I, when I first got out, I had, I had an, an I, I had to even go back and text the guy to see what company it was. But Anyway, like they, they, they were going to bring me in as like the exercise science guy to, to coach these athletes. And it was like more specific to hockey. And I had never played – I think I had like skated twice in my entire life, you know. But like yeah. – well, that, that, that's – and that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. Like that we could get into what athletes should be doing. You kind of alluded to, you know, the nonsense that's out there with, you know, swinging and BOSU balls and stuff. But Yeah. But anyway, but, but like you said and uh, the guy that I was talking to earlier today, I feel like we're getting into a time now. It's interesting to see these people who are in their specifically like the mid to late fifties into the seventies, even the eighties who, first of all, may not even grown up with knowing what 
strength training, weightlifting, smart exercise was or could be, or it may be marketed to only a specific type of person. To people in their 50s, late 40s, 50s, who grew up, a, you know, who kind of came of age in, in the 90s, 80s, 90s, of like all being about cardio. And mm-hmm. now they're starting to realize like um, strength training has more benefits. It's not just for the bodybuilder because that's what a lot of people think of. Especially if you're in 50s something, I get phone calls uh, from somebody looking for a trainer. And they're like, hey, I, you know, I don't want to be a bodybuilder. And the first thing I say is good. Like I don't yeah. want to train a body. I don't even know how to train a bodybuilder. I have no idea yeah. because that's not where I, I, I don't I have no, no clue. But I, here's what I can tell you about overload and what the benefits of strength training are besides the physical aspect. And I think this is a really hard thing for a lot of new trainers specifically to grasp. But when you start training somebody who is a busy professional, particularly who travels a lot, who may not have a great diet, who drinks, you know, a couple bottles of wine a week, who sleeps five to six hours a night, who's stressed at work, who have kids and all these different things. It may be, you might get kind of disheartened um, to not see a physical transformation over a long period of time or a short period of time because there's so much at play. Kind of like that athlete you were talking about, we have this much control over their life. You know, we might see them for an hour and a half max a week, right? like three half hour appointments. That's like great for most people. And they're going to get really upset and you're going to get disheartened because they're not seeing the change they want after a few months or six months or even a year of training. But if you can sit down with them and say, okay, here are the other benefits and like the Wayne Westcott articles showing them of the other benefits of strength training. And then maybe say, look, if you're really serious about fat loss or whatever their, their end goal is muscle mass increase um, a large portion, because you will still get it even if you're not losing a ton of fat. Um, then here are the other things that you need to dial in on. It's a totally separate conversation that we need to have. Yeah. And uh, maybe saying that up front is the best way to go about it. Sitting down with someone and saying, look, I, I know you're going to get these benefits because it, they're tried and true. Uh, you know, they're, they're scientifically researched articles. I'm going to show you right here. And here's how we're going to keep track of that information. But if you really want to get deeper then we need to start talking about your sleep, your alcohol consumption, your nutrition, stress levels, you know, on down the line. So that's where I think, that's why I think it's, 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 we're in the best time to, to, to focus on like the older population, why training older population is sexy. Now I think that they're more open to hearing all of that information. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, who's the gentleman that you had on from, is it Vertex? Dwayne Wimmer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like how he, he kind of like the way he articulates, it seems it's like strength training. You know, he, he has things to say. He can refer you to, uh, you know, a dietitian or something like that, but really yeah, yeah, articulating. Yeah. I talk with my trainers about that. How do we get better at articulating these benefits? You know, I think a lot of people think that, okay, I'm fed up with, you know, if it's weight or body composition, I'm going to pay someone and that's going to fix the problem. But right. You know, us as trainers getting better at articulating those things right up front, like you said. So there's yeah. no, you know, there's no questions three months down the road. I think that's key. And just yeah. building that skill. Uh, is yeah, help. definitely. And, and knowing that it is okay to coach somebody uh, through weight loss and knowing how to do that and having the right resources for that. But it's a separate conversation when you are trying to make sure, like you can't, I can't coach somebody. Uh, for weight loss during a workout 
in 30 minutes because I'm queuing for mm -hmm. exercises. I'm guiding them. I'm handing them weights. I'm making sure they're doing everything, making sure they're breathing. You know, we got some other conversation going on, catching up with the kids, things like that. Like those are natural things that happen. Yeah. So in a 30 minute or even an hour workout, we're either, we're either exercising, we're trained, we're strength training, or I'm coaching you on lifestyle changing factors. Like the two aren't mutually exclusive. Um, and having that conversation up front too, I think is very, very valuable. Yes. Yeah. Speaking Absolutely. of which, speaking of the 30 versus 60 minutes, uh, this okay. is another, another thing that you and I had discussed and, um, do you guys only do 30 minute appointments where you are or do you have 60 minute options? What's the variance there? We have, we have both, but we probably do, I would say 90% are 30 minutes. So we have both tell, options. Yeah. Tell, tell me more about why 30 minutes um, and how you, how you go on stressing why that's more beneficial. If you think um, it's more beneficial. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, well, I've always done hours. So right. one of the reasons I started doing it is because that's kind of the anytime fitness thing. That's what they market, you know, with all their branding and, and stuff like that. Um, I think the affordability of it, right. It's a little bit less of an investment. The area yeah. we're in, uh, that's very important, right? Yeah. Um, so that's probably the reason, unfortunately, why most people pick the 30 just based on price. Right. Um, but I think, I think that if, like I said, we need to get better at articulating why this would be better. But the way I kind of fell into it, it's kind of funny. I had a client and I'm doing 30 minute sessions for the first time, right? I, I haven't done 30 minutes. So, you know, I'm like, okay, we can get, we can get a lot of good work done here. If we do this, we do that. And this guy, I love him. I still train him. Hopefully he listens to this, but he would come like 12 minutes late, you know, to yeah. a, a 30 minute session. And so I'm like, all right, well, we're going right in, you know, so we're going high, high intensity, one set to failure and he got great results. Right. So that kind of motivated me like, okay, you don't need a whole lot of time. I think right. for any personal trainer, whether you're doing 60 or 30 minutes, you need to investigate a little bit more of a high intensity training approach. Um, because you just don't, you don't have enough time to get the recommended volume that right. like, even if I wanted to be a high volume guy, I couldn't because no one's going to train with me you know, very few people are going to train with me four times per week for 60 minutes. So it's kind right. of by necessity. Um, but then, you know, I, I, I saw results with it and I'm seeing, um, you know, people that have high stress lifestyles that are, are very busy. It just makes a whole lot of sense in terms of recovery. Yep. So for me, that's kind of how I transitioned over to the 30 minutes. Uh, and then the trainer just kind of followed suits, followed suit. Um, I have, three or four trainers, two of them are kind of more into that more high intensity. A couple of them still do, you know, they'll do multiple sets, but even within those sets, they're drying, they're driving a little bit of a higher degree of effort than typically yep. would be. So using the principles, um, yeah. but yeah, that's kind of how we started using the, the 30 minute sessions predominantly. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're making a good point because the idea of doing, when I first started training, um, I thought 60 minutes were like key, you know, mostly for, you talked about affordability. I, you know, I was thinking financially, uh, but in reality, once you get a busier schedule as a trainer for the business side, I think 30 minutes, uh, if, when you get yourself to go back to back to back, it's, it's more beneficial for you. And it forces the trainer, I think, to keep the workout going. Um, mm -hmm. I think sometimes in a, in a 60 minute, I see it myself, uh, the, the individual, 
the individual will take a, a few more breaks. There might be a little bit of TV watch in the background. There might be like a phone check here or there. Um, and I think it was, it might've been Arthur Jones or one of those people who said you can either train long or train hard, but you can't train hard for very long. And that kind yeah. of sticks with me. So when I'm pushing somebody, I might, I'm typically a, a two set person with most people. I, I pick between six and, and uh, maybe nine exercises for a 30 minute workout. And if I can't get the last three exercises, cause normally they're like a single joint, I kind of just burn out like the quads, hamstrings, and maybe like a uh, shoulder press or something. I, I, I try to get to muscular failure, positive muscular failure in those first two sets, six exercises as hard as I can. And, um, by the end of it, you know, there, and in reality, if you look at the time frame, that might be only 20 minutes of a 30 minute workout. And the very end of it, we're doing, you know, some, I guess what you call ancillary work, leg extension, some hamstring curls, calf raises, depending on the person who needs it. I like to focus on those things for like runners, uh, wrist curls, uh, finger extensions, some, some things like that. If people have, uh, you know, some elbow issues, but they're very important exercises anyway. But uh, 20 minutes and then 10 minutes, you could even do five minutes of uh, some, some, you know, wrist work or something like that, train the neck, and then five minutes of stretching. And that person is like spent, got their heart rate up, you hit all the major muscle groups. It doesn't take that long. Or if you take like an hour workout, you're looking at, you know, much, much more time spent on breaks. You're much more time on um, – I think single joint movements, which are fine, but not as beneficial as multi-joint movements. So there's a lot of different variances and I try to push as many people. I would say probably I've got one, two, three, four, four people who do out of, out of 40 plus clients who do hours still. Um, okay. We do a lot of mobility work. Those people need a lot of more focus on mobility work. Uh, I know a couple of the guys are well over six foot plus tall. They're getting into their 60s, um, you know, sedentary for most of the day. So like getting some thoracic movement and things like that. So uh, you could do that also with 30 minutes. But I think the, the benefits of, you know, the strength training versus thoracic movements are going to kind of outweigh that. But uh, and that's just me just kind of talking and rambling now. But <laughs> No, no, that's great. Yeah, we, I don't really talk about the 60 minutes. So we have it if they request it. I actually think yeah. I, have, I have two clients that are 60 uh, minutes, and we'll do things like interval training on the, the assault bike, you know, right. for 15. So we'll, be, you know, we'll rotate through like a three-mile ride or a 20-40, and then we'll track progress on that. Um, yeah. Same thing. Uh, maybe warm ups, things like that. So really, I could get it. I actually had a conversation with my 60 minute today. She's finishing like her three month uh, initial commitment, and she's wanting to transition to the 30 minutes. So I was like, Yeah, awesome. go ahead. I mean, Great. like we can. I mean, you can do your general warm up if that makes you, you know, more comfortable, and then we can just go yep. right into the strength. And she was all about it. So I kind of promote that. Yeah, from the business side, you're. I mean, if you're looking at it from financials, you're making more money. Um, you know, two half hours in one hour than you than you are the way our price exactly. structure is. Uh, and then, you know, I've heard people talk about this. If you lose a client, uh, it's not that big of a, you know, it's not going to kill you. If you lose your, you know, your 6 PM time slot, that's it, true. You know, your, your business isn't shot, you know, your personal business. So you can, you know, you can kind of refill those, uh, with a little bit more ease. So yeah, there's tons, 
business-wise, I think it makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, and then even the way I particularly train, it just works better. You know, yeah. oftentimes I'm done before 30 minutes. We'll be out in 25, you know? Yeah. And clients, that's, and if you're, if you're pushing them hard, they really have no problem with that. <laughs> and that's, and that's the thing. If you're pushing them hard, because it's hard to push somebody hard for 60 minutes. You're filling you know, in like, stuff. If you're, you're, yeah. I think so. I, I don't see how a smart program, unless you're doing, unless you're doing all the mobility and, you know, intervals, things like that, which are fine, fine things, but like for efficiency and just the person's time and overall energy, I, I really think that 30 minutes. And again, this is going to be a lot of explaining on, on the trainer's front of why 30 minutes is, is important because I got a lot of people who, just like you probably look at you like 30 minutes because we've always been taught 60 minutes. Every workout has to be 60 minutes. Has to be more 60 is better. Yeah, exactly. More is better when you just think that yeah. I, I just, I, I, I talked to like, I, I try to repeat that, that, um, that hard work quote I, I said earlier, I try to repeat that to him. Like, look, you know, there, there's going to be, you're going to notice a lot of the downtime and I haven't done this, but I wonder if you could just a stopwatch every time somebody takes like a longer break and add up all the break times or all the, the really downtime to say, this is all, this is all wasted energy, wasted effort. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The total work time. Yes. Would be very similar or less. Possibly. Probably. Yeah. I'm going to guess less. The total work time would probably be less. And then, and then you, and then you start to get into uh, that 20 minute time work frame, I think is very important. 20 minutes, man. Um, did you, did you work out today yourself? I didn't yesterday. Yesterday. What, what did you do? I just did upper bodies. I did um, I did a chest press, a pull down, uh, a row, and a shoulder press. That was it. So it was about it was less than twenty minutes. Less than twenty minutes. That's amazing. So I did. Yeah. I I've been doing um, two full body workouts recently. I was doing kind of an upper body, lower body split. I would do two days on, a day off, two days on, and then take the weekend off. But now uh, today I did full body. One set, every major muscle group, uh, and I even ended with like some grip work. I think it took me a total of uh, 38 minutes because I had I, it was almost like peak time at the end of the morning. So I had to like I got off a machine and I went to like grab a piece of equipment and then come back and that machine was taken again or something. The machine I was going to next was taken again, so it was kind of like ah. So those kind of things like I don't stress about myself, but I like to kind of. Bang, bang, bang. If I can get in and out in 30 minutes for myself, full body, I'm stoked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I will often like, I'll go, um, not necessarily periodizing, but I'll go stints where I go, you know, six to 12 weeks where I'm doing all one set to failure. And then yeah. I will, uh, do multiple sets sometimes. Like I'll do three yeah. sets at the most and it kills me. Like, yeah. you know, if I do three sets of a chest press and three sets of a row and like 30 minutes, like I'm dead. So then I put myself in the shoes of my client. You know, yep. there's, there's no way, like, especially in the beginning. So yeah, like you said, if you're working that hard, uh, you, you're not gonna be able to go much longer than 30 minutes. So. And that's where I was going with this. If you, if you start to time out your own workouts and you really start to think like, okay, cause you know. I feel like for a trainer, if I'm going to work out, I try to sandwich myself between two appointments. So I force myself to get a really good workout in really hard. I just, I'm like, all right, I've got, I've got 30 minutes before this next person comes in. I'm going to bang out. I might be huffing and puffing going to the next appointment. Like I'll give myself five minutes to kind of cool down. 
But to, like today I had an hour and I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. I know it's kind of like a little bit of peak time. I'm going to try to stay out of everybody's way. I, I barrel through it. And at the end, I'm looking at my clock and I'm like, you know what? If I'm, if I'm a client right now, I cut out biceps, I cut out triceps. I maybe not do grip work this time. And I try to like really mentally, like, what kind of workout was that? What did I get through? What could I cut out? I try to like pin, you know, like remember those kind of workouts. Cause not every single workout is going to be identical. Um, even though, they can be. You can do the same workout for the rest of your life. And like you said, cut back on reps, cut back on weight, cut back on sets, add sets, add reps, add weight. Um, but I, I've done the same thing you've done where I've gone into like one set workouts and that's all I'll do. Like right now, it's all I've been doing for the past like six months. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get a really heavy set, two sets of uh, upper body in. And then like the next day, I'm like, what did I do to myself? And if I stick with that for a long time and I go back to one set, I feel like I have even more power because I know I'm like, I'm not coming back for a second set. So I'm going to give this all I got. And then yeah, psychologically. The next, yeah. And then the next day I come back like, what did I do to myself? So like there's, you know, there's not one, I'm trying to say not one better than the other, but there's definitely some things to consider there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll use in the beginning with uh, clients, I will use multiple sets too, just for practice. Definitely. Right? So yep. um, I, I've gone over that. You know, I'm always trying to, you know, what's better? Um, always trying to it's a hard change one. how I train or think, you know, what's the, be the best protocol? Um, but I actually now I'm starting with less exercises. So it might be four to six yep. um, in multiple sets. And then I'll, I'll taper down the volume actually as they get, uh, to the point where they're learning to work hard and they're proficient with the movement as opposed, oh, yeah. you know, to just going right into the one set to failure or, or yeah, things like that. Yeah. But I go back and forth. Cause that's a mental, like trying to get somebody to go right into like a one set to failure is such a mental. Yeah. Like a lot of people will be like, there's no way I'm going to make progress. This is way too hard. But if you get them to, to feel what it feels like to get into momentary muscular failure, just one set, one rep, that's, you know, that's, that's all they need. That, that second set, the final rep, if they feel that can't push anymore, hey, that's all you need. Great. And you do that for six to eight, maybe 10 weeks, something like that. And then you start to progress them. That's a good way to go about it, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Ben, man, I, uh, I appreciate the time. I'm glad we got to catch up. I'm glad we finally made this work. This has been awesome. Um, if people have any questions, comments, concerns for you, where's the best place to reach out? How can they get a hold of you? Um, they can find me on Instagram. That's probably the only social media that I consistently use. It's just Benjamin Blonde, um, my name. And then, or they can email me. Uh, they can email me at ben.blonde at anytimefitness.com. Awesome. Awesome, Ben. Well, I, I appreciate it, man. This has been fun and we'll talk to you very soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com.